You're listening to Living Lab Radio. I'm Heather Goldstone. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration released its annual Arctic report card this past week. It concludes that, quote, Arctic ecosystems and communities are increasingly at risk due to continued warming and declining sea ice, end quote. The report card tracks seven so-called vital signs of Arctic health, including air and water temperatures, sea ice, and tundra greenness. And the authors say all of those vital signs are showing strong signs of global warming. But for all we know about how the Arctic is changing, there are still more questions. Hundreds of scientists have set out to answer some of those questions by taking turns spending a few months on a ship that deliberately has gotten itself stuck in the Arctic sea ice. That expedition is dubbed Mosaic, and Don Perovich is one of the scientists taking part. He's a professor in the Thayer School of Engineering at Dartmouth College. Don, welcome to the show. Uh, Good morning. So many parts of the globe and aspects of the climate system are changing. Why is it so important to specifically have an Arctic report card? The Arctic report card, it's it's motivated by an opportunity to assess what's going on in all the elements of the Arctic system. Uh, And the Arctic is interesting for a number of reasons, but also because of uh, a quality called Arctic amplification, that basically the Arctic temperatures are warming around twice as fast as they are at lower latitudes. And so things are happening much more acutely in the Arctic and much faster in the Arctic. And why is it that the Arctic is changing so much more rapidly than the rest of the globe? It's because of a, mainly because of a phenomenon called Arctic amplification. Snow is a great reflector of sunlight. It reflects right. 85% of the sunlight. If we look at the Arctic Ocean, the ocean absorbs over 90% of the sunlight. So what mm-hmm. happens is as there's warming, you get snow turning to water, turning to bare land, and you start absorbing more heat. And as you absorb more heat, you get more melting, which means you absorb more heat. And it's a positive feedback loop. It's an area where small changes can be amplified into large shoves. Positive in the sense that uh, it makes the effect bigger, but, but a pretty vicious feedback loop there. Yeah, perhaps it's better to think of it as a a vicious feedback, uh, because (laughs) there's nothing positive about it. Well, Don Perovich, this year's uh, report card highlights a number of, uh, if not record temperatures and and melting, near record kind of seconds in a lot of cases with air and ocean temperatures, with uh, record or near record low sea ice extent and melting in Greenland, all of those things. But of course, that's what happened in one year put that into a a longer perspective. I mean, one year is not in and of itself evidence for climate change. Correct. And uh, for the past 40 years, we've had satellites looking at the extent of sea ice. And it tells a story of continual decreases and also a story that the very nature of the ice cover is changing as it goes from ice that's, you know, four or five years old to ice that's just formed that year. You know, and that newer ice is thinner ice and less resilient ice. And then you can go back in time to look at uh, whaling records and go back another century or so and see that the losses we've had now were unprecedented in that record. And mm-hmm. you can go back even further to look at tree rings and other uh, paleo records such as that and see that for the past 1,500 years, While there's always ups and downs in the sea ice extent, there's never been a drop-off that we've seen in the last few decades. Not, Not one to match what we're seeing right now, you mean? 
Right. We, we've never seen a decrease as large as the ones we've seen in the past few decades. If we take that trend of declining sea ice, how long is it until we reach the point of an ice-free Arctic, either in the summer, or is it possible that we could eventually reach an ice-free Arctic year-round? Well, I think when we talk about ice loss in the Arctic, it's happening in every month of the year, but it's most pronounced in the summer. And we often look at the September ice extent. It's the end of the summer when it's reached its lowest levels. And looking ahead, there's no way to be sure, but climate models have uh, worked on trying to predict when it will be a summer ice-free Arctic. Those models say that we could have an ice-free Arctic in the 2040s, you know, plus or minus a, a decade. Well, Don Perovich, as you are um, highlighting here, and as the Arctic report card highlights, we know a lot about how rapidly the Arctic is changing. But there are still some big outstanding questions, particularly with regard to sea ice. What are the some of the burning questions that you still don't have answers to? Well, I think one of the questions with sea ice is that how is the new Arctic Ocean behaving? Sea ice, you know, freezes. It can grow for a few years and eventually gets exported out uh, to the east of Greenland. But what we've seen is a transformation for that older ice that's a few years old and typically is, say, 10 to 15 feet thick and is fairly resilient. We've been losing that. Uh, back in 1985, that kind of ice covered 33% of the Arctic in spring. Now it's down to 1% uh, of mm. the Arctic ice cover. And what it's been replaced by is younger ice. And younger ice tends to be thinner ice. And thinner ice is less resilient ice. And by that, uh, I mean that let's suppose that normally in summer we lose two feet of ice due to melting. Uh, well, if you're a piece of ice that's 10 feet thick and it's a really warm year and you lose four feet instead of two feet, it doesn't really matter that much. But if you're this young ice and you're only four feet thick, you won't survive that that warm summer. Because of these uncertainties, we want to know how the new, this new Arctic Ocean system works, and that motivated an experiment called Mosaic uh, that is interested in what are the causes and consequences of an evolving and diminished Arctic sea ice cover. So to call Mosaic an experiment, I think, is is maybe an understatement. This is an experiment on multiple fronts because uh, what's happening, what, what started in September, is that uh, an icebreaker, the polar stern, uh, has actually gotten itself deliberately stuck in the sea ice and plans to stay there stuck in the sea ice for a whole year. What can you learn from doing that that you can't learn from going in by boat or learning from satellite data or any of the other many technologies that we have for learning about the Arctic at this point? Yeah, you're right. It's a big experiment. It's the biggest uh, Arctic sea ice experiment ever. It involves uh, 19 different countries participating. There will be 600 researchers involved in one way or another, and it's a drift experiment that will go on for over a year. There are a lot of experiments in the Arctic uh, on the sea ice cover, usually in the spring, summer, and fall, hardly any in the winter. But what makes this different are a number of things. One, we get to read the whole book. 
normally you go up for a couple of months. It's like you have a complicated mystery and you get two chapters and you're supposed to figure out what's going on. Uh, but here, we're, we've already started. We're there in the fall when the ice begins to freeze. We'll watch it evolve through the whole winter and see what happens when summer comes. Another key element of mosaic is it's interdisciplinary. There are five elements, uh, the atmosphere, the ice, the ocean, biogeochemistry, and ecosystems. And there's an awareness that it's a system. And if you change the atmosphere, you change the ice. If you change the ice, you change the ocean. If you change the ocean, you change the ecosystems. And one of the things we're going to be looking closely at mosaic is how do these things connect? When you change one element, how does that change propagate through the entire system? Now, the Norwegian explorer Friedhof Nansen did something similar almost a century ago. How much of an inspiration has that been? I mean, obviously, uh, climate change was not on his mind. Technology was very different. Uh, Are there things that have been learned or drawn from that expedition for this one? Yeah, I think one of the things we often think about with Mosaic is we're in the drift track of Nansen. Nansen's drift was from 1893 to 1896. It took three years. We expect to do our drift in a year and cover much of the same territory. So how can we go that much faster? Because we are not propelling ourselves. We're just drifting with the ice. Well, there are two things. One, we're starting further north than Nansen did because we can't start where he did because there's no ice there in the fall. Hmm. Uh, the ice edge has moved further north. And then second, this newer new Arctic, the ice moves faster. So we'll be going through more quickly. I think I've just, inspired by Mosaic, I've been reading a biography of Nansen, and it really shows how bold his ideas were. Uh, and I think there's a lot that... Uh, you know, we've learned from, from his expedition that still is valuable today. I think one of the big differences is when they left, it was like, well, see, it'll probably be three or four years, but don't worry till five years. Uh, <laughs> whereas e- we're pretty much in constant email connection. Uh, so that's, uh, the challenges were much greater in Nansen's days. <laughs> That's Don Perovich. He is a professor in the Thayer School of Engineering at Dartmouth College and one of almost 600 scientists participating in the Mosaic Expedition. Don, thank you. Thanks for your interest.